Thank you to Ross for, uh, in a sense, giving up his pulpit as well. That's a, uh, a big thing to do, to give it to somebody that he's never heard preaching before. And uh, so I thank you for doing that, Ross, altogether. Thanks to Jim as well. Jim and I go back a fair distance. We, we're good friends. I hope that doesn't put anybody off, but we are good friends. We kind of think the same in some ways. Although, when Jim uh, phoned me to ask if I would come here this morning, one of the things he said was, um, and of course, you'll do a children's talk. I said, oh, Jim, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want you to do the children's talk. I said, Jim, I'm absolutely hopeless at doing children's talks, and I think I just proved it this morning. I just, I love children, but I'm just no good at trying to communicate with them at that level. But anyway, hopefully, one or two of them tonight will be praying for the, the children of the persecuted families around the world, and uh, that would be great if that happened. Well, this morning, uh, I've got a wee dubry here. Let's see if I can make it work for you. This morning, I began to think about um, what is God saying? And, and Ross referred to it in his prayer. It's not about what the preacher says. Uh, hopefully, we are the, the mouthpieces for what God wants to say, but it's actually about what God really wants to say to us. And if it's just, if Sunday by Sunday, and Ross has not told me to say this, but if by Sunday by Sunday, we stand up here and preach and it's just because we want to get these things off our chest or because we've been studying them that week and that's it, then actually we could stay at home and do that to ourselves or to our family. It's about what is God saying to all of us uh, in this day and age. And so I really hope and pray, it would be my prayer more than anything else, it's my prayer, it has been all this week, uh, is that you and I both together would hear what God is saying and as a result of that, maybe even do something about it. Um, when I was pastoring the church down in, in Ayr, there at Southside in Ayr, and I loved it to bits, just uh, was there almost 16 years, I really felt that I was just uh, going to finish my days there, as it were, working towards retirement, had a really good assistant uh, for three years at that time, uh, church was going well, just, it, yeah, it was just a good place to be, and um, kind of out the blue, in some sense, uh, God spoke to me about putting it down and moving to work with this organization called Open Doors. And uh, I, I, I wrestled with that for, for quite some time until I realized that actually it was him speaking to me, um, and, and it was about obedience and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it came to the last Sunday of being at Southside when I announced to the church that in a few weeks' time I was going to be leaving the church and stepping down from being their pastor and uh, going to work with Open Doors. And uh, there was all sorts of reactions to that, but um, there was a, a good friend of mine uh, who always sat at the back of the church. Sorry, I'm not meaning to point to anybody at the back of the church, but that's just where he sat. Uh, Brian was his name, 84-year-old, sat at the back of the church. If there was ever any time, we used to have um, kind of prayer ministry at the end of our church services, and so very often people would come forward for prayer. Uh, Brian would never do that. It wasn't his style. He was a deeply godly man altogether. Uh, loved the Word of God and uh, loved serving God. But anyway, he, you know, and no sense of humor. That was also part of his makeup. Anyway, um, that Sunday that I announced that I was leaving, uh, out of the blue for me, uh, Brian made his way to the front. And uh, I wondered, oh, is this him coming for prayer for the very first time that I'd been his pastor for 16 years? But it wasn't. He came down to see me and to shake my hand. And he said to me, Colin, um, I, I totally believe that you're the right person to be going to work with Open Doors and the persecuted church. I said, oh, Brian, that's, that's a, just a lovely thing to say. Thank you for your encouragement. He said, the reason why I say it is because you've been persecuting us with your preaching for 16 years. <laughs> and then just turned and walked away. And I was kind of, whoa, what, what just happened there? Um, he was joking, I'm glad to say. It was the one and only joke I've ever heard him cracking. Um, 
but it taught me so many lessons about people. And uh, so uh, one of the reasons why I'm saying it is that I've no idea who you are. <laughs> and maybe you're quite glad about that. Um, but I've no idea who you are. Uh, I know Ross a little bit. I know Jim a little bit more. But that's it, really. So if, if, if anything happens in this place this morning that touches your heart and challenges you and makes you say, you know, I want to do something about that, then that has to be God. It's certainly not the preacher. And it's not because I know your situation. So let's just come just to receive whatever God wants to bring to us this morning. And the verse, one of the verses I've got that um, you would know this as well as I do, that in the book of Revelation where uh, John is writing about the seven churches, Jesus speaking into those situations, uh, and at the end of, you know, each stanza about each church are words very similar to this. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I think in one sense that almost encapsulates what I'm trying to say this morning. Let's come with those ears open to say what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning in this place without the preacher knowing anything about your situation. But let the Spirit of God speak to us and let us be open-eared and open-hearted to hear what He has to say to us. So I want to just go through, um, and I'm only doing it, you know, really for as much for my own benefit as for yours, but just to pictorially uh, talk you through a story or two and to share some stuff from Scripture and really to try and at least give one answer to what I believe the Spirit is saying to the church today. So just as, you know, some facts, very, very brief, sketchy facts, facts, the Islamic State, IS, Daesh, called by a number of names, is targeting Christians, minorities. In Mosul alone, 45 churches have been destroyed or converted. You know, there's a targeted approach to Christians in the Middle East. Seems ironic considering that these are the Bible lands, as it were. It's where Jesus walked and talked. It's where Christianity was formed. It's where things began to happen as far as Christianity was concerned. And so the Islamic State fundamentalists would be determined to wipe out Christianity in the Middle East. And so that's just one example that, you know, at least 45 churches have been utterly destroyed or taken over. And you will have seen some of the photographs in your TV screens or in your newspaper, uh, really shocking stuff that's going on. And, uh, but Christians are being targeted. Let's be under no illusions about that at all. Um, here's a mother, uh, yeah, just, you know, expressing what her thoughts were. They told him, as in her son, they told him to renounce Jesus and proclaim Muhammad or we'll kill you. I'm so proud, she says, that he refused. Three times, three times they shot him. Um, whoever was praying, I think it may have been Ross who, who was praying about the children and seeing things they should never see. Uh, mothers are seeing things they should never see for their children. It's absolutely true, Ross. Children should never see what they're seeing in this day and age at all. But they're seeing atrocities all across, particularly the Middle East, but of course, it's all across the world as well. Open Doors happens to be operating in 60 different countries where there is persecution of Christians. And it can range from extreme persecution. You would probably know that uh, on an annual basis, Open Doors produces a, a booklet. There's a few of them out in the, the foyer there if you want to take one and read it and pray through uh, what, it's, what the content is there. We'll bring out a new one in January for 2017. But in that, you would find the, the, the 50 countries in the world where persecution is taking place in the most severe, severe circumstances. And number one for the 14th year in a row is North Korea, where it's uh, unlawful completely to be a Christian and where absolute atrocities are happening altogether. I could tell you loads of stories about North Korea and what's happening there to Christians. And yet, 
and yet God is on the move. God, God is doing remarkable things in a country where it's, where it's prohibited to be a Christian, prohibited to have a Bible, prohibited to meet like this. Oh, yes, there are state churches around, but uh, very, very strictly controlled altogether. But in a, a land where it's prohibited to be a Christian at all, there are estimated to be between something like 200 to 400,000 Christians. That's in a land where you're not allowed to be a Christian. So, God is on the move. Probably about a quarter of those, 50 to 70,000 of those Christians are today in a labor camp because they're Christians. So, a huge amount of persecution going on, but a massive move of the Spirit of God across North Korea. That's just one country, and there are so many others we could talk about. But the Middle East is where, you know, the focus of attention is just now, and where, um, yeah, some pretty horrible things are happening. But I want to tell you as well about some remarkable things that are happening as well. Just think about this one. Um, two slides here which just say exactly what it is. This is a, a teenage girl who has written this. And she's written about five reasons why Iraq is the best country for a Christian to be in. She says this, when you live in Iraq, you can read them for yourself, but I'll add a little bit more. When you live in Iraq, you're constantly reminded not to set your heart on material things. In Iraq, we realize that you may lose those at any moment by explosion, by theft or displacement. This urges us to just enjoy having the basic necessities and be thankful and happy. So, number one, she's saying, it's the best place to live. I mean, it just almost blows my mind even to think about it, that this teenage girl is saying Iraq is the best place to be as a Christian. Why? Because actually material things don't mean anything to us, because we don't have them. It's a country where, as Christians, they're losing their homes, they're losing their possessions. Children that used to play in the streets play football or play computer games. These are all gone. They're taken away from them. The schools are being blown apart. Hospitals are being taken away from them. Uh, just, you know, there's nothing for many of these people in, in Iraq to actually hold on to and say, this is mine in terms of house or possessions. So, this teenage girl is saying, you know, actually, as a Christian, it's a, it's a remarkable place to be. When you live in Iraq, you're constantly reminded not to set your heart on material things. Secondly, she says this, when you live in Iraq, you discover that the real family is the church. In Iraq, your family gets scattered all over the world because many people choose to emigrate. The church becomes more important. You find brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, displaced from all villages and cities of Iraq. In Christ, we are all family. Ross was mentioning that sometimes we sing songs, familiar songs, and because they're familiar to us, we don't actually, you know, take them all in, or we don't sometimes, dare I say it, maybe I'm just speaking about myself, don't always mean what we sing. Well, actually, when it comes to Christianity, um, many of us belong to church. I'm so glad that so many of you are here this morning belonging to this church family. Uh, having come in only for the second time, it's obvious to me that this is a, is a welcoming place. It's a it's a warm place, not just because of the fire up behind me here, but it's a warm place to be, and it's a family place. I, I can sense that right away, type of thing. In Iraq, she's saying, you know, the, the church is our family. I wonder how much we actually hold on to our church family here in Airdrie as being a real family, people that will be there for us through thick and thin, through high and low, through good times and bad times, through good health and ill health. Now, I'm absolutely certain some of you are desperate to shout out to me, this morning. Yes, that's exactly what happens. I can testify to that, absolutely, and so it should be. But let's never just take it for granted. Let's absolutely hold on to the fact 
that the church, the body of Christ believers, are our family. Third thing she says is this, when you live in Iraq, you have many opportunities to serve others. Due to the displacement, many people are living in camps, many opportunities to help one another. The churches are no more a place where we just go sit and come back home. Church is a place for real fellowship. We know each other, we care for each other, we share what we have, and we witness together. The doors of the church are open. Now, even to those who used to belong to other religions, we all belong to the body of Christ. An amazing statement to make all together. The church is the place where we, where we serve each other and serve other people as well. Um, I wonder if you and I are serving Jesus today, or are we people that come and go, come to church, sit in a pew and leave again? I'm sure that's not the case for the vast majority of us here. But actually, it's, it's important that we get involved in the body of Christ. Uh, actually, we get so much more out of it when we actually give to other people. And this young girl is saying, you know, it's a great place to be because we get so many opportunities to serve. And by serving, that'll be different from us, no doubt. When you hear about a a neighbor down the road who's lost everything, whose you know, husband has been dragged away or whose children have been taken away from them or whose house has been targeted or whatever, then as a neighbor, they can reach out to them and try and support them and encourage them in whatever way they can. So there's slightly different reasons for serving in Iraq than there are here, but the principle's the same. Um, yeah, let me do, try and do something. Oops, it's moved on twice. Let me go back one. Okay, final two things. When you live in Iraq, you'll feel related to the great people of faith mentioned in the Bible. Isn't that remarkable? Actually, when you're there, you can th- they can think back to the times when the people of the Bible were in the same region, were in the same area altogether, and it reminds them, and this young girl is saying, it reminds them of the fact that they're living in Bible lands, but they're living with the uh, legacy of the people of the Bible. Isn't that a remarkable thing to think about? I wonder how often I think about that and think, my goodness, I'm only here because of what my forefathers did. I'm only here because of the, the patriarchs and what they were involved in and how they pioneered things so that, again, as Ross prayed, so that we can come and meet in freedom uh, in a way that, that we do and we take it for granted so often. It, it's largely because of people that have gone before us. And so, if somebody says, if we are able to see further than others, then it's only because we stand on the shoulder of giants. People that have gone before us, and the people of Iraq, particularly this young girl is saying, constantly comes back to me, she says, constantly comes back, that this is a real privilege to be here. And the final thing, just quickly, when you live in Iraq, you have the privilege of being persecuted for your faith. Wow. <laughs> Let's just stop and think about that. When you live in Iraq, you have the privilege of being persecuted for your faith. Here we have to pay a high price for our faith. Displacement, discrimination, sometimes even death. But is it not a privilege to die for your faith? You know, if I, Ross, whoever, was preaching one morning and decided that the Lord was leading them to say, you know, if there's, if there's anybody here this morning who has not given their life to Jesus, then we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. By coming to Jesus, by inviting Him into your life, He'll forgive you your sins, no matter your past. He'll, he'll wipe that out altogether. He'll completely forgive you for your sins. He'll immediately give you eternal life, so that no matter when you leave this world, you're going to go straight to be with Him and see Jesus face to face. That's what He's done for us on the cross. And if you would love to receive that kind of life, where your sins are forgiven, where you've got eternal life, where, you've, where you're walking with Jesus every day, then now's the time, we might say, 
just raise your hand and so we can pray for you. And it's possible that one or two of us might do that. If we were to say this morning, you know, I want to tell you about Jesus, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, then He'll immediately forgive your sins. He'll offer you eternal life so that you'll, even when you die physically, you'll go to be with Him. That's what He'll do right now if you give your life to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, I have to tell you that there is a possibility, a strong possibility, that either you'll be killed for your faith as soon as people get to know you're a Christian, or you'll lose your husband because, uh, because actually you'll be thrown out of your house. Uh, your career that you've started on, that'll be taken away from you. Uh, you won't have any money because nobody will ever give you money because you're now recanted from Islam or whatever faith you've got and become a Christian. Uh, now, can I ask for a show of hands? It's fairly possible that uh, not many hands would go up at that stage. And yet, you know, the remarkable thing that's happening around the world is that people are doing that. People are saying, I know what the cost is. I know that these things are going to happen to me because they've happened to a friend of mine, they've happened to a neighbor, but I know this is the truth, and I know that I want Jesus in my life, no matter what the cost is. She's saying, when you live in Iraq, you have the privilege of being persecuted for your faith. Here we have to pay that high price for our faith. I think we've got so much to learn from our persecuted family around the world who are willing in their hundreds to come to faith in Jesus in spite of the cost they're having to pay. If time permits, I'll tell you one or two stories this morning about that. Um, many people are searching. Uh, I just want to tell you a brief story about this one. Um, a friend of mine was going into Iraq and Syria, as he does every two weeks, and he was told on one occasion uh, that they wanted him to go to a particular church service, a bit like this here, just turn up on a Sunday morning at a particular time, and, uh, but you need to get there a bit, probably a bit early because the place is packed out, there's standing room only. And so he turned up uh, about half an hour before the service started and uh, wandered in, and there was about 10 people sitting there. And he thought, well, obviously revival happened last week. It's not happening this week, so that's fine. I'm here in plenty of time. Um, so he just sat there, and then about, he reckoned, about five minutes before the service actually started, uh, the doors at the back of the church opened. And uh, he turned around to see what was going on. And as the doors opened, there were literally, he said, busloads of people being bussed into church, largely Muslim people, largely Muslim women, but not exclusively, people who had heard from their friends or their neighbors or had seen for themselves that they were Christians and things had happened in their life. When they pray, they get answers to prayer. When these people, who largely Muslim people, say, we pray and nothing happens. So, they, they've come to that point of saying, we want to know what you've got that we don't have. And in their hundreds, they're coming to churches to find out what's going on, to hear the message of salvation, and equally, hundreds are becoming followers of Jesus. Many people are searching in spite of the persecution, in spite of the troubles that are going on, in spite of the atrocities, one or two we've mentioned already, and most of them you can see and read for yourself. God is on the move, and God is turning people back to Himself, and it's amazing to see it uh, as well. Um, here's just an example of a, a, a pastor of a church uh, in uh, Harakosh, where uh, the whole place was just annihilated by IS, and uh, he had stayed in the area. He'd moved out to live in a refugee camp along with some of his parishioners and other people. Um, but when the, the forces had moved in just about two weeks ago, he decided he was going to go back. And what he decided to do was to actually to take a cross with him, to carry a cross with him. And he took it back, and he's planted that cross on a hillside beside the church where the church was that he is the pastor of. As a, as a sign of, you know, 
not only are we back in the area again, but we're, in, we're telling you actually Jesus is still alive. He's not on the cross anymore. He's alive and He's moving and things are happening in this part of the world. And, and remarkable stories like that are happening all over the place. Okay, ask the children earlier on, what can we do to help? Uh, and the two answers were absolutely brilliant um, altogether. One is that, yes, we can support them by giving, and of course, and I'm not here to shake any uh, tin cans this morning about that, but they do need support, and they do need help, that's for sure. And uh, through the generosity of people like yourselves who support Open Doors or support other organizations, then families are being looked after on the ground. So, at this moment in time, uh, through the generosity of uh, people such as yourselves, um, Open Doors are able to provide 19,000 families uh, a month in Iraq and Syria uh, with food and resources to keep them going. So, yeah, finance is important. But the other important thing, much, much more important than and finance is prayer. We believe in prayer. I hope you do, but I certainly believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. You know, one of the things that happens, probably happened to you as much as it's happened to me, is that when somebody comes up to me in church on a Sunday morning and says, Colin, I was praying for you this week, uh, very often I'm able to say, you know, I, I actually appreciated that because I felt it this week. I was going through this situation or that, and I really felt supported, and I really felt encouraged. So thank you for praying for me. I'm sure some of us here can nod our heads and say, yeah, that's happened to me. Well, you know what? Distance is no problem to God. When you pray for your persecuted family around the world, they feel it. They know it themselves. They know they may never meet you physically, humanly on this earth, but they know the power of prayer, and they know that prayer is being answered. They know that there are people around the world who are praying for them. I get the privilege, uh, yeah, numerous times, sometimes too many times, but numerous times to travel and to go and visit persecuted families in different parts of the world. And um, without any shadow of a doubt, every single time I've been, whether it's, you know, Thailand, Laos, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, Ethiopia, whatever, Lebanon, when, when I get the opportunity to meet with people and always say to them before I leave, what can I take back to the Christians in Scotland? What can I take back to churches? Without fail, none of them ever ask for money. Never. Without fail, they all ask for prayer. Would you get people to pray for us? So I'm bringing it to you this morning, in Airdrie Baptist this morning. Your persecuted church family around the world so appreciate prayer because they feel it. It changes their life. It changes their circumstances. They know that God is at work, and it's through the power of prayer from people they've never met and probably never likely to meet on this earth. So please keep praying if you're already praying, and if you haven't started to pray, then get some of the literature there and, and just start to pray for your persecuted family because it does make a massive difference. Whoever is here to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know, one of the things that happens um, when I do travel and go to meet people is that I get the opportunity to uh, just spend time with them, just talking through uh, what is God doing in their life, what's God saying to them. And um, yeah, just you know, I'll give you two stories, uh, which to me are just remarkable because they're very clear in my mind, and I don't, you know, I can't get them out of my mind, and I don't want to, but just two very quick stories. One is um, of a pastor in Central Asia who is uh, running a church that has four services on a Sunday, and this is a country where uh, persecution is on the rise for Christians, but he's got four services doing amazing things. Uh, he's training up pastors to go and plant churches around Central Asia, uh, already planted about 20 churches in that area. Um, and I said to him, so uh, 
his name's Eddie. I said, uh, Pastor Eddie, what, what's your vision? He said, well, I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I believe God's laid a, a vision in my heart as well. And it's this, and I've started to do it. He said, I've started to train people up in the church so that, this is the exact word, so that when the walls of North Korea come down, we are ready to go in. Isn't that an amazing statement of faith altogether? I mean, at the moment, it looks as if North Korea, it was like China 30, 40 years ago, and nothing could happen here. But actually, he's praying already and working already with people to say, we're ready. As soon as those walls come down, we're ready to go in and to share the good news of Jesus. So, I think God's asking us to be people of faith. I think that's the first thing I wanted to say there. Second thing I want to say is about a, a church, a small church in Lebanon. I was out there last December and um, went to see this church. It was a very small church about nine months before we arrived. Um, met in the first floor flat um, because there were just a few of them in that area. Nobody would come to that church in that area because that's the Christians and we don't want anything to do with them. In fact, we think they're just, you know, crackpots. You know, we just, aye, just dismiss them altogether. But then the refugees started to arrive from Syria into Lebanon, something like 1.2 million arrived. And from uh, the village where we were with him and uh, his wife, we could see the tented villages. We went down to see it um, in the refugee camps, and it was just horrendous altogether. Um, and he took us into another building, and he said, this is where our church meets now. Oh, right. This is a wee bit different and a nice kind of entrance foyer. And then he took us through to another room, which would be about the size of this room here, and in there were uh, 150 children meeting. This is 150 Syrian refugee children that come for schooling to this church Monday to Friday. And in the afternoon, there's another 150 Syrian refugee children coming to that school to be taught by Christian teachers. And the Muslim parents are delighted about that. So there's 300 children, Syrian refugee children, being taught, being educated by Christian teachers in that area through this church that was just a handful of people nine months before. He then took us up the stairs, uh, rickety stairs, concrete just getting put down, and we went up the stairs and we looked down on what can only be described as an amphitheater of a building. He said, you know, we've had to build this building in the last few months because of so many people coming to church. Hundreds and hundreds of people coming from the refugee camps, realizing that as they have gone to the mosques and asked for help and been turned away, so they've gone to the church where people came one day and said, what can we do to help? And they said, well, we could do with blankets because it's the winter. We could do with bedding. And the church, few of them, just a handful, went and found out stuff and got it for them. And as a result of that act of kindness and love to their neighbor, these people have started to come to church. Hundreds of them becoming Christians. We met a, a woman, another story, and her seven children have all become Christians. You see, God is doing things when we step out and say, yeah, I want to do something. I don't just want to hear the stories. I don't just want to hear, you know, preaching week in and week out. I don't just want to be a pew filler. I actually want to be somebody who does something. And that little church in Lebanon is doing something. And God is honoring that in remarkable ways. I can't tell you this morning that if you reached out to people, as you are doing, but reached out to people in this area in different ways, that this church is going to be packed out and you're going to have to build a bigger church. Please, God, that may happen. But, you know, God honors obedience. God honors when we love our neighbor as ourselves. God does things, and it's happening in the Middle East in areas where persecution is rife. So, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me read uh, a couple of verses to you from Scripture, because I think this is what God is saying to us in the West at this time. The writer of Hebrews, if you 
don't know who that is, then ask Ross, because no point in asking me, because I've got no idea. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said this, and remember that the New Testament was written to the persecuted church. Remember that the New Testament was written by writers who themselves were persecuted. So they knew what they were talking about, and they knew who they were talking to. So the writer in Hebrews chapter 10 says this to whoever was going to read these words. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. He knew what they were going through. They knew what they were going through. So he knew, or they knew, whoever wrote the thing, said, remember those earlier days, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. They got it. They knew that. Yes, was the answer to that. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. There were times when they went through persecution and they needed other people to get alongside them. There were times when things were a bit easier on them. And so what did they do? They reached out and they stood side by side with those who were being persecuted. Okay, here's the answer to the question, I think, one of the answers. Whoever's ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. I think the Spirit of God is saying to you and I today, as part of the body of Christ, this is our time to stand side by side with those who are being persecuted. And one of the reasons why I say that is because you and I, I certainly don't know, but you and I have no idea when we're going to need other people to stand side by side with us during times of difficulty. So, my brothers, my sisters, my friends this morning, if I can call you that, can I ask you to be people of action, do something about it, to stand side by side with a persecuted? How can we do it? By prayer, absolutely, more than anything else. Let's do that. By finding out a bit, a bit more about them so we can pray more intelligent, absolutely. Uh, I've got a wee petition form out there because we want to send a petition to the new General Secretary of the United Nations to say we want the people who are going, the minority groups in the world who are going through times of difficulty, we want them to have dignity. We want them to be part of the reconciliation process. We want them to have good living standards. We want all of that to happen. So you can take action even this morning. Just sign your name, put your details on it, and, and we'll send that in along with hopefully a million other signatures around the world. There are things that we can do. I've only just touched on some things this morning. You can tell I'm a preacher because I just love standing up and telling stories. But if you want more information, then Jim will get in touch, Ross will get in touch, whatever, and I'm more than happy to send you whatever you need to help you on your journey of standing side by side with those who are being persecuted. And God will honor that as he is doing right now. Brief prayer, and then I'm going to hand back to Ross, if that's okay. Father, thank you so much for this church this morning. Thank you so much for this lovely group of people. Father, I pray that along with myself, we'll be people of action, not simply those who hear the Word of God, but those who actually put it into practice and do something about it. Thank you for the legacy that we've inherited about people who stood side by side with those who are being persecuted. Well, Father, it's happening today, and we need the people. We need the small church out there in Lebanon to stand side by side with people. We need people in Central Asia to stand side by side with people and plant other churches. We need people to be reaching out to our fellow brothers and sisters so that they can be supported and encouraged, so that the young girl in Iraq and hundreds of others like her will be able to say, this is the best place to be because we find ourselves closer to God in this place than anywhere else. God, would you give us the, the passion in our heart to serve you, first of all, but to serve our brothers and sisters around the world who are going through horrendous times. We pray it as we bring our morning worship to you now. In the lovely name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Brian, thank you, Colin, for that, uh, that challenge and that encouragement uh, this morning. We stand together to sing our closing hymn, Shine, Jesus, Shine. 